Welcome back to another episode of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-NFL. And we have a special episode on tap today. And I'm not going to talk a lot prior to the interview today with the Ringers, Danny Kelly, because me and Danny got a little bit long-winded. And that's just how it goes with these draft prospects. And when you're talking about draft topics in general, the interviews usually go a little bit longer than what you intended. But there's some really good stuff that we get into. There's some top five prospects that I really wanted to discuss with Danny because I see them as the most polarizing right now. And that's Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, DK Metcalf, Montez Sweat, and Quentin Williams. I think all five of those guys are a really good group, and I think they're probably going to go somewhere in the top 15 all together in some random order of some sorts. But I really wanted to get Danny's thoughts because we see Montez Sweat come out and have the enlarged heart condition similar to what Maurice Hurst had last year before he ultimately slipped to the fifth round to the Oakland Raiders. DK Metcalf, the numbers speak for themselves, but the three-cone time, there really is some questions about that and if he has to change the direction skills in order to survive as an NFL receiver. And there's just some things that he's going to be limited with as far as a route tree and just some scheme-specific things that he's just not going to be able to do. Those are just the type of things that we really get into with a discussion. We have a really good discussion about Russell Wilson and how he compares to Kyler Murray and if he has that type of ceiling. And with Danny being a Seahawks fan, I really wanted to get his thoughts about that. And on another subject, on Friday, I'm going to have another show. I want to get back to my State of the Franchise series where I just air out my thoughts about each and every team in the first round, and even those teams that do not have picks in the first round. And the whole purpose of the State of the Franchise series is that I have some things to get off my chest. I have some thoughts that each team should have going into the draft leading up to April 25th, and not just the first round. I want to dive into some later guys as well that they could have their eye on. So on Friday, I'll be doing picks 10 through 12. Starting off with pick 10 with the Denver Broncos, then going to pick 11 with the Cincinnati Bengals, and then we'll end it with the Green Bay Packers, who hold the 12th and the 30th overall pick. So those are just some of the things that are going to be on tap for this show and also leading up to Friday as well. So I want to get back to my State of the Franchise series because you guys have really enjoyed that, especially the team-specific type of things where I just hone in on each and every team across the league. And that's something that I'm going to do more of as as we progress and lead up to the draft. Without further ado, here's a word from our sponsors, and then we'll get into my interview with Danny Kelly from The Ringer. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or even all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with the title? Can Virginia get past his loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the perfect place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Again, deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. (laughs) 
I want to welcome in my next guest on the Draft Board Podcast and a guy I got a chance to meet down at the Senior Bowl and developed a really good relationship with as well, and that's Danny Kelly from The Ringer. How's everything going, Danny? It's going really good, man. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Good, man. And, you know, we had a little talk pre-show, and the weather's actually nice there in <laughs> Seattle today, which is, <laughs> yeah. like you said, it's a misconception a lot because it always is <laughs> dark and gloomy there. And I asked him, is it always rainy in Seattle? And his 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 reaction was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I actually don't know. I haven't actually fact-checked this, but I actually did hear that there's more rain per year in New York than there is in Seattle. The The thing about Seattle that makes people sad and depressed, though, is the fact that it's, like, gray all year or all all winter i actually remember a couple of years ago we had like 90 straight days of cloudy weather which was just like super brutal to get through but um it's been a weird winter it's it's almost spring i guess now but uh it was like really really snowy for a long time which was pretty rare for for this area and now it was, it was 70 some degrees today so kind of crazy weather over here i'm sure that was pretty foreign to you guys i do want to ask you one oh, question yeah. this is completely off script so the Seattle Supersonics, do you think they're going to come back? Yeah. I think eventually they will, yeah. I, I hope it doesn't mean that they're going to take a team from another city, though. I mean, that was kind of a thing for a while with Sacramento. And I think, you know, thankfully that didn't happen, I guess. I mean, obviously I was excited for the Sonics to come back, but would have hated to have it happen to, this, to the Sacramento, kind of same deal. So um, my gut is eventually they'll get an expansion team. I don't know the, the you know, internal machinations of the league or whatever so i can't tell you when that's gonna happen but i think eventually they will um so uh you know whether that's in three or four years or 10 years down the road i can't tell you but i know that they've got like an nhl team is coming this way um seems just like the momentum is going that direction for eventually this for the nba to come back here definitely because i was a huge sean kemp and gary payton fan oh right? yeah <laughs> you know basketball that's like talk. what i grew up on man <laughs> right they were awesome but enough basketball talk this is a football <laughs> podcast. I'm sure my listeners are like, man, that is not what we came here to listen to. But I have <laughs> to ask you. This is... I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I have to ask you something I do with every single guest that comes on the show. I just want to ask you about your journey to this point. You're with one mm -hmm. of the biggest growing sports networks in the industry with the ringer. So just shed a little bit of light about your background and how you got to this point. Yeah. So I, I started uh, in, I have a totally random background. Like I went to business school and college and, started working in the legal field out of college and I basically was just really bored with that and eventually I just started writing my own Seahawks blog and it kind of worked out timing wise that SB Nation was transitioning from one of their lead writers at the at the Seahawks blog and they found me and so I kind of just took over there and so I, I worked on the Seahawks blog field goals for about five years and and then I started to, I just expanded kind of at SB Nation. I did draft stuff. I did NFL wide stuff every week and kind of just became a quote, you know, national writer for them um, while running the Seahawks blog also. And that was kind of how I guess the ringer found me. And from there, it's just, uh, I've been at the ringer now for, let's see, two and a half years, I think, and are coming up on three years actually. And so just, continuing to kind of expand my horizons and what I'm writing about and what I'm kind of trying to tackle. And, and this year I'm back doing draft stuff a lot more heavy. I used to do it at, at SB Nation quite a bit, but I've never written a draft guide before. This is my first year doing one. So it's super fun to get back into the draft, like full bore. Um, Cause I love the draft. Like it's just so much fun to, to study these guys and just kind of dig into the tape and everything like that. So that's kind of the background. 
Yeah, and that's really awesome. And of course, the first thing I have to ask you about the ringer is you see on these networks, social media, these fancy, amazing graphics that you guys have. So I just want to know yeah. what is the process and who are the masterminds behind these graphics because they're so awesome. I mean, we have this whole team that does graphics and video. We got um, that's one of the awesome things about working at the ringer is like I can. I can kind of use what I know and, and, you know, about football or whatever, and then they can apply it to video or doing graphics. And, and I don't necessarily know. How, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So it's really cool to kind of like, you know, collaborate with, with our video team and our graphics team, our art team. Our art is awesome at the ringer. I love the, I love the art on like all our articles and things like that. And, um, the draft guide is really cool. It, it's not necessarily graphics per se, but just the, the, uh, I don't even know what to call it. The platform that it's on is really kind of just awesome. The way that you can sort it, the way that you can, um, you know, click. You can either look at it if you want, just like to peruse through the list of guys, or go further in depth and stuff like that. It's just really, really cool visually, I think. And so, um, it's great to be able to uh, to to be able to put my just like writing into something so cool, like visually. Yeah, and that's something that you really notice is very eye-catching. And that's something that's very important with these draft guys because you don't want it to just be a bunch of words and word on play and anything like that. And with the ringer, it's very eye-catching. The graphics are really clean. So I just want to open the floor a little bit more to you <laughs> just to go in-depth more about your draft guide and what exactly does it entail. Yeah, so right now it's at 50 players. I got my top 50 up there. Um, every couple of weeks or every week or so we've been doing an updated mock draft. So if you click on the guide, um, there'll be a tab at the top for the mock draft. There's a tab for my big board. Um, we're going to have a big team needs thing coming up in a couple of weeks here, maybe even like a week or a week or two. Um, that's super in depth, kind of looking at each roster. Uh, I think Robert Mays is going to help. He's going to be like spearheading that. I don't know if anyone else is going to help, but. Um, and then I'll be looking at team, you know, potential guys for each team. It's kind of the idea is just have like a one stop, you know, one one like clearinghouse place for all of our draft work. And so that's my scouting reports. Um, there's some interstitials written by Roger Sherman and, and Danny Heifetz, other guys in, in our company, uh, Kevin Clark, Robert Mays. And so, yeah, it's just kind of a, a one stop you know, place for for people to come and check out the draft. And so. Uh, it's really exciting. It's actually based on the platform that we used, the Ringer used for the NBA draft guide, which I think went really well. And then I, I want to say there's other stuff that we can kind of use in this platform. So um, it's just a really, really, really cool function. And if you go check it out, it has kind of, like I said, it has different ways to to look at it. You can either do a skim function, which is basically just the top guys. It, it doesn't really tell you anything. You can peruse, which is a little bit more in depth. And then there's deep dive where you get these full scouting reports. And so uh, I'm really excited about it. It's really, really fun to do. And I'm going to expand it over the next couple of weeks to 100, hopefully, before the draft. Yeah, and I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. And Mays and Clark, they do amazing work with you guys as well, especially Mays. Oh, yeah. He does some really good work throughout the year. I always make sure to read his stuff. So I know the draft guide is going to be even amazing, especially <laughs> what the team needs adding to it as well. So I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. But I want to get into some of the prospects that you have included. In your mm -hmm. draft guide, and I want to start with the guy that you're very familiar with, who's being compared to a guy you're very familiar with, yeah. I should say, and Kyler Murray with Russell Wilson. You're the resident Seahawks fan. You've seen <laughs> Russell Wilson since his early days, yeah, and how he was such a polarizing prospect coming out. And you're seeing a lot of the same similarities with Kyler Murray, and I think some of them are fair and some of them are unjust. 
So where are you at right now as far as the comparison between the two? And do you see his ceiling being as high as what Russell Wilson's can be? I mean, I do. I think his ceiling is definitely that high. I mean, you got a guy who I think one one area that he is actually a little bit, you know, stronger than Russell Wilson is he's way more explosive as a runner than Wilson is, um, especially at this point in his career. Wilson early on in his career was, you know, very, very effective in the read option, but he never had the, I don't even know, like the human highlight, the, the human joystick style, uh, you know, agility and elusiveness that Kyler Murray has. He's just on, he's just unreal as a runner. Um, so I don't think Wilson was ever at that level. He's a good runner, but not a, you know, electric runner like Kyler Murray is. But now, obviously, that's sort of a secondary skill set that, you know, passing comes first in the NFL, and that's probably never going to change. And so I think Murray does have, he is a natural thrower. I think, um, you know, he's got a strong arm. He's accurate at all three levels. He can take it off. He can take, you know, velocity off his passes, pass with touch. The big question is, of course, his size. Um, but I mean, he's playing behind a big offensive line in Oklahoma and, and that's kind of the same deal with Russell Wilson. When he came out of Wisconsin and you know, he's playing, I think against, he was playing behind, I think what had been the tallest average offensive line in the, in the nation at the time. So to me, it's not a question of, is he tall enough to see down the field? It's, it's always going to be, and this is how it is with Russell Wilson. This is how it is with Drew Brees. It's the ability to find passing lanes as a passer, as a, as a quarterback in the pocket. And Russell Wilson's had his ups and downs over his career in terms of his, quote, like poise in the pocket and everything like that. I think he's come on really, really strong the last couple of seasons in terms of his ability to truly pass from the pocket, um, which and by, when I say that, I mean not behind the pocket, but like in the pocket, if that makes sense. Like you're stepping up into into the like where you guys got you got guys behind you because like a lot of time I think, quote, pocket passing is is just being behind your line, but you're not necessarily actually in a pocket, if that makes any sense. And so being able to throw in there when you got guys all around you, I think Wilson's really, really developed his ability to do that over the years. And I think that's something that Murray's going to have to do in the NFL. Um, but he, to me, he shows a natural ability to kind of slide and move in the pocket um, while keeping his eyes downfield, which is obviously the most important thing, because if you take your eyes off what's going on downfield, it's over, the play's over. So I think he's got that. I think obviously it's going to be a journey and no quarterback in college really comes into the NFL ready to do everything that the NFL coaches are going to want you to do. But um, I think I think I've seen enough to be very bullish on his ability to kind of slide around in the pocket and make throws. Um, And so the, the height question to me is is not that big of a deal. Obviously, he's going to be an outlier because he's short. He's going to be one of the short quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's definitely a concern, but to me, that's not like the biggest deal. It's it's just more of his ability to like kind of go through reads and, and do all the regular stuff that quarterbacks do that you have to kind of decide if he can do or not. Yeah, and I think you're spot on as far as these shorter quarterbacks having to create these throwing lanes, and that's something that he was able to do at Oklahoma, and that's why my kind of worry with him has kind of been a bit less as the process has went on and you've gotten to dive into yeah. the film a bit more because – He's able to slide and maneuver within the pocket, like you said, and create those throwing lanes. And the thing that a lot of people don't really understand about shorter quarterbacks is that they throw to spots because targets disappear behind these big bodies that they're within in the pocket. So with Drew Brees, with uh, with uh, Wilson, they have to throw the spots and they have to have superior anticipation because of their shorter stature. They're not able to see 
over totally. this humongous offensive line. So I think you were spot on with that. I mean, it's like it was a big thing with Wilson um, early on in his career. He would say something along the lines of um, he's always had the high issue, so it's always something that he had to deal with, and he's always made the most of it and figured out how to do it. And I think you have a guy like Kyler Murray, who's, who's probably never been one of the tallest people on his team. He's always just, I think you always, as you're growing, in, you know, growing up and growing into the position and, and developing, it's never been something that has, you know, really affected him enough to make it like a big deal. And so I think, you know, it, it's going to be something like, well, you still see it with Russell Wilson. Like you said, there's times when you just can't see. And that's just something that's going to happen on some plays. Every quarterback has a few, you know, thing vulnerabilities, if you want to call it or whatever. Um, but I think he has the other tools to overcome that, like his his accuracy, his anticipation. Like you said, throwing with anticipation is such a such an important thing for a quarterback. Um, and you know, his arm is he's got a very quick release, and he's a and he's a playmaker. And so there's all these things that I think can kind of overcome that specific disadvantage or whatever the height disadvantage that he's going to have. There's times when he's just not going to be able to see, and that's something that he's going to have to deal with. But you know, I think he can make quote all the throws and so his ability to kind of move around the pocket and and throw with anticipation is going to be what defines him as quarterback not his height and absolutely it's going to be really interesting to see exactly where he does land and I still think he's going to go number one overall to the Cardinals and the thing that I come back to with it is that Cliff Kingsbury is only he's probably only going to get one shot as an NFL head coach and why not go down swinging with the with the guy that you have a previous relationship with and you don't have any ties to Josh Rosen because the previous regime did draft him. And I know Steve mm-hmm. Kime and Michael Bidwell was still there. But the guy that can fit your system is Kyler Murray. You have a previous relationship with him. He's operated your offense before. And they seem to have some type of chemistry from their previous days as well. So, But I can spend all day on Kyler Murray. We have a bunch of other guys that we, that we want to get to as well. The next guy yeah. I want to get to is Nick Bosa, a guy I think that is another polarizing prospect because he had the core injury last year. Mm-hmm. He's been a bit banged up, but we know he has talent. He has the genes that you're looking for. His dad, his uncle, and his brother were obvious former first-round picks as well. But his steam has kind of seemed to dwindle a little bit, and I think it's because yeah, it's, it's been weird. so long since we've seen him play. So where are you at right now with Bosa? I mean, he's my number one guy um, on my big board, and it is, it's, it's pretty surprising to – I guess the lack of hype around him. There's obviously he's a big name and everything, but you know, for a guy who is maybe the best player in the draft, if not like you know, he's a top five player for sure in my mind. Um, you just don't really hear a lot about him. You don't see a ton of uh, like highlight reels of him for some reason. Just you know, just don't see much of him right now, which is crazy. So, um, but yeah, going back and watching a little bit of his tape from this year, obviously a bunch of tape from last year. Um, he's just a dominant pass rusher, super explosive, very powerful, um, refined with his technique. I, I think one of the biggest things about him is his ability to use his hands. Um, I made the, I made the comparison of, of him on a pass rush kind of reminds you of like, uh, Mike Tyson coming out of the, like opening bell, like Salvo, like he just keeps going at you and, and gets guys on the ropes almost immediately. Um, <laughs> And I think that's sort of like what defines him as a pass rusher. His, his, he's just relentless and um, overpowers guys to where they're just like, it's like shock and awe. That's like to me, Nick Bosa's shock and awe pass rusher. Um, um, 
So he's obviously, uh, you know, got to prove it that he can do it in the NFL. But, you know, you see almost the exact same skill set as, as his brother. Um, and I might have even said Joey Bosa earlier. I don't know if I did or not. But, yeah, he, he just really reminds you of Joey Bosa because it's the same sort of style. He's a little bit smaller, but um, just powerful, uh, very technically, you know, advanced for, for how old he is and all that. And so I think he's just going to be a dominant player. I just really, really like his game as long as he can stay healthy. Yeah, and that seems to be the biggest question with him right now, just how healthy is he going to be coming into his career? And I think he'll be just fine if he's able to stay healthy. I, I think he can easily be a 10 to 12 plus sack guy as yeah. a rookie just because of the, like you mentioned, the hand usage that he has, the explosiveness that he does have, and just the power that he's able to overwhelm yeah. blockers with. I think he's going to be a fantastic pro as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, guy, as soon as, like, get... Even like he, uh, just to kind of reiterate, like if he gets stalemated, like even for a second, he just keeps his hands moving so fast mm-hmm. and so furious that it, it like he barely, he, he rarely to me gets just completely stalemated out of play. You know, he's always going. So that that's kind of what I like about him. Yeah, and that's a great point because that's a big thing with pass rushers, especially coming into the league. When guys real when their first move doesn't initially work, you really see right. that guy that has that counter move. And Bosa already is ready made in that area. So I think he's gonna be he's he's so translatable and I think he's gonna be really good early on. The next guy I wanna get to though is Quentin Williams. He's actually the number one guy on my big board and I know that may I be don't a blame bit contra- <laughs> <laughs> it may be a bit controversial. And I don't think you can go wrong with having Bosa or Williams at the top. But what I love about him is that the new trend you're kind of seeing in the NFL now is just how supreme interior pressure is as mm-hmm. opposed to exterior pressure, seeing guys like Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, and just the way teams have to game plan for them. I think Quentin Williams can have that type of effect on offenses, and he's not just playing in the middle. You can flex him out yeah. as a five technique at defensive end Nick Saban, and company did that with him from time to time, and he's had that type of effect in every single game, even though he's been a one-year starter. And the sample size is small. I'm a huge fan of Quentin Williams. Yeah. I So I have like 1A and 1B for Bosa and Williams. Because I, I I would give the edge just to Bosa just a little bit. But Williams, like you said, he is incredibly disruptive. The production was there. Like on a snap-to-snap basis, I don't know if there was anybody that was um, more – I don't know if productive is the right word, but more disruptive, I think, than Williams. He His – I wrote this. His tape is like watching a highlight tape for most guys. I mean, he's he's that often. He's like slicing into the pocket, pushing past guys. He's very very slippery. Uh, it's the same deal with Bosa. Like he, his ability to use his hands, time his time his hands um, to kind of coincide with a guy's like an offensive lineman's punch. He's very very slippery. He, he's able to kind of deflect a punch and, and and simultaneously move past offensive linemen. I think it's like his skill. It almost kind of reminds me of Michael Bennett. They're not the same type of player, but um, well, they're not exactly the same same type of player. Um, but they both have the ability to like slap away block attempts and get guys off balance across from them and and, and kind of sneak through the offensive line. The other thing about Williams that I really love is just how really really quick he is laterally. Like he's very good on stunts. Um, he can kind of bound from gap to gap really really quickly and get around guys and, and overwhelm guys overwhelm offensive linemen who are trying to pick up stunts and things like that and so yeah he, he's very versatile very powerful very slippery um yeah it's kind of crazy that he was only a one-year wonder i don't know you know if the light just came on he, he's still pretty young 21 years old or whatever um 
And that, I guess, is a little bit of a worry that it's a one-year wonder thing. But obviously on Alabama's defensive line, there's a lot of dudes to, to contend with. And so um, I think that's obviously kind of, you know, makes you feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, and it's amazing how they have so much talent on that defensive line. And he just basically was hidden. I mean, he was behind yeah. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Deshaun right. Hand. The list goes on and on. And that just goes to show you how much talent they do have on that defensive line. It just It's amazing how much talent they do have for the Crimson Tide. But another guy that he's been somewhat polarizing, but he blew up at the combine. He ran four four one, and that's Montez Sweat. Yeah. defensive end from Mississippi State but there's been some huge news that came out about him yesterday where he had the well a couple of days ago I should say where he had the heart condition and it was a similar comparison to Maurice Hurst from last mm-hmm. year in that it's not as major of a concern but it may make teams a little bit hesitant because anytime you're dealing with a heart condition that does or it will scare some teams away so where are you at with Montez Sweat? Yeah I mean I think I, I can't you know I wouldn't I wouldn't know where to start in terms of taking him off my board versus not with the heart condition um, because I don't know all the details of, and I am, you know, just really unfamiliar with that kind of thing, how, how worrisome it actually is. Um, as a player, I definitely like him a lot. I think he's one of those guys that I think uh, this, the whole idea behind the draft, the whole idea behind scouting is trying to project what guys will be in the NFL. You know, it's not necessarily what guys were in college. It's what are they going to be in the NFL? And Sweat kind of strikes me as a guy who could have his best football in front of him. Um, I comped him to Daniil Hunter. Uh, there's there's obviously other comps just based on his length and size combination. It's pretty rare. You know, just he, he's tall and, and really, really long. And he came in a little bit heavier than I think everyone thought he was, so that kind of helps a lot, just kind of add size or whatever. But, yeah, he, he to me, you know, explosive in the first couple steps. Obviously, that showed up with a four four forty, which I don't think – was anyone expecting that? I, I don't remember hearing anyone say he's going to run a 4-4. Oh, I was expecting maybe high four fives. I did not expect a 4-4-1. Right. That was ridiculous. Yeah, so that tells you about his athleticism. Um I, obviously, I think my concern and it's the concern that a lot of people have is what happens when his first couple steps don't work. You know, what is he doing with it? Because he's really good, um, really explosive and knows how to use his punch to kind of get guys off balance, get offensive line off balance. He has a very good like long arm punch move that he can kind of turn into a bull rush. Um, but the concern is, of course, like what he can do at the top of his rush when you're when you're trying to turn the corner and finish and get to the quarterback and bend and do all that. Cause he's not quite as bendy as, as a lot of the guys in this draft. He, he's a little bit high cut, meaning he has long legs, kind of like a high waisted dude. Um, and there's times where he's almost a little bit lanky looking. I think he has packed on a little bit of weight. And so that kind of not quite as big of an issue, but to me, he's a bit of a projection, but the athletic traits are rare. The length is rare. And I think he has enough bend and knows how to use his length enough to eventually develop some counter moves that will be really, really effective. Like his ability to, um, you know, do like a hump move because he's got so much power with that, that, that initial punch that I think he could develop really good hump move. Um, even when he doesn't turn the corner too, which I like about him is he's still so long. His arms are so long that he can affect the quarterback. He has a way of like, kind of jumping around, you know, he's not even going around an offensive tackle, but just getting through a tackle with his arms and, and kind of affecting the quarterback in that way. And so 
I think he's going to be an effective pass rusher. He has elite potential because of his athletic traits and because of his like, you know, frame um, to develop. But I think he is a little bit of a risk just because the the bend thing is kind of a little bit of a concern. I think just his ability to turn that athleticism into like you know stats functional pass rushing ability. Yeah, and I think of any edge rusher in this draft, it is very important for him to get with a demanding position coach because he's going to have to learn to use his arms a bit better. And he yeah. already has a good foundation already. And I remember that long arm stab that you're talking about because he used it on Titus Howard at the Senior Bowl. I was, <laughs> yeah. I seen it firsthand. Yeah. And when I was watching him down at the Senior Bowl, going into that event where you see big names, you expect him to show up and show out. And that's exactly what he did. And I left the senior bowl like, man, this guy is absolutely a first-round prospect now that yeah. I expect him to run a 4-4-1. I did not expect that leaving the senior <laughs> bowl, but leaving Mobile, I firmly had him labeled as a first-round prospect because he just looks superior to all of the competition out there, which is what you expect of a guy like that. And I'm right there with you as far as he's not as bendy as the at the hips as some of the other guys like a Brian Burns or Josh Allen or even a Jacob right. Light. He's not as bendy and rubbery around the edge and able to corner like some of those guys, but as far as the traits and the athleticism, I think he firmly has that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, it's, I think you could say this with any position, any player in the draft, I, you know, landing spot, like you said, will probably matter. Cause I think he's a four, three guy. I would, I I'd love to hear what you think about that, but he seems to me like a four, three end. not that that necessarily matters quite as much, but, um, kind of getting him out on the edge, I think is probably a sweet spot. And so, um, there might be, you know, some schematic limitations with him, but overall, I like him. I'm excited to see where he ends up. I, you know, he's the kind of prospect where if he ended up on the Seahawks, which is my team or whatever, like I would not be disappointed about it. I think that's that says a lot, I guess. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think he's 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 a good player who has potential to develop into a really good player, but he does have to. Um, there are some things that he has to, you know, develop in order to kind of reach that potential for sure. Yeah, and I think he's definitely a 4-3 defensive end just because you've never seen him drop in coverage and you're not sure if he can do that. So I don't think he can be a three-down outside linebacker or anything like that. So let's just keep him in his comfort zone as a 4-3 D. And I think <laughs> Going upfield, yeah. Yeah, and just guys that have those type of traits, there's no way he makes it outside of the top 12, in my opinion. The most – I would say predictable spot for him or the most famous spot for him has been the giants at six mm -hmm. and even the lions at eight. I think that's probably a sweet spot yep. for him. Yep. As long as the heart condition isn't scary for some of those teams at the top, I think he definitely can go in the top 12. Yeah. It's crazy because I think a lot of people had him in sort of the teens and twenties before the, the, I guess the combine or even the senior bowl, like the senior bowl, he made a big jump forward and then the combine it's like, okay, he might not get out of the top 10. It's just he's been one of the biggest risers in this whole draft process. Yeah, absolutely. And another guy that has been very much discussed during the combine was DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole yeah. Miss. Tested off the charts. I mean, he <laughs> just lifted off the bench press. He was just out of this world. I think he did, what, 27 reps or something like that. He ran 4 yeah, he's three just insane. at the 40. I mean, he's just the alien. That's what I like to call him. He's just out of oh, this yeah. world. But the three cone, there was some questions about that. He ran 7-3 or something like that. It wasn't very good at all. And there's some there's some questions about his COD, his change of directions. And it shows yep. up 
on his film when he's not running vertical or linear in a straight line when he has to change directions. There is some pity patting or stuttering in his routes to where he has to gather before he changes directions. So three cone test does hold up a bit. And I'm really interested to get your thoughts on him because he seems to be slipping in mock drafts and it's kind of all over the place. And yeah, whenever you ask a fan base about do they want DK Metcalf and there doesn't seem to be a consensus of fans or a certain fan base that really wants their team to draft him. Oh, yeah, he's a he's a very difficult prospect because I mean, not only did he just completely annihilate the vert, the 40, all the all that stuff, he was like the talk of the combine. Right. But his three cone was not just bad it was like atrociously bad like i saw someone tom brady ran it faster than he did and so um <laughs> it's just how do you what do you do with this information um i think it's a big thing to me you know the draft is something that a lot of people say is like what can he do you, you want to ask what can he do and i think he he's just a dominant you know he has the potential to be a dominant deep threat kind of like i think that's why he draws a lot of uh um, Josh Gordon comps the fact that he can get downfield so fast. He can eat up cushion so fast. Uh, his 10 yard split was insane. I think it was like 1.48 or something like that. Um, so he can just, he can get downfield really fast. I think he tracks the ball. Well, I think he <clears throat> adjusts at the catch point really well to it. So like there's one catch that just kind of sticking in my mind. Um, I believe it was against Alabama where he reached out real far at the last minute to reel in a, a deep pass for a touchdown and his, that ability to kind of like stretch out and, and reel in those deep passes, I think is, is going to be big for him. But yeah, I think there are issues with a lot of like with any big receiver, tall receiver um, you're going to have, I think questions about, you know, are you going to be able to separate in the NFL? Um, are guys going to crowd you in the early part of the route and things like that? Is it going to throw off the timing and all that? I think those are real concerns, but I don't know, man. He's just so physically dominant, at, you know, just so like going downfield that to me, I think you can find a, a way to get him involved. I think you can, um, you know, use him on nine routes, use him on post routes, you know, that kind of thing and, and just let him do what he's very, very comfortable doing. And I think you can find a role for him again fit and landing spot is going to be so big for him because I could see him. He's one of those players where you could see him just uh, crash and burn. If he's in a, with a team that doesn't have a good deep thrower that has like, like a, you know, a see it throw a quarterback where he requires that a guy get separation before he releases the ball. Like if, if he ends up with that kind of offense or that kind of quarterback, I could see him just really struggle, but put him in an offense like with Pittsburgh or, or KC or whoever, and I could see him become a star. You know, it's one of those players where it just really, really matters where he lands, I think. Yeah, and I am terrified of this happening as a Vikings fan. <laughs> and it's a fit that is not being talked about a lot. And you already know where I'm going with this. It's with the Packers at 12. Yeah, yeah. And I think it makes a lot of sense because they have a needed receiver. All they really have is Devontae Adams. Jimmy Graham hasn't been what they thought he would be when he did come over. So they really need another option at receiver right now because they have some more down-the-line guys who I think are wide receiver threes or wide receiver fours. But mm -hmm. just imagine the pairing of Devontae Adams with DK Metcalf and Aaron oh, Rodgers. That would just be insane. This, I mean, he's not the same type of receiver, obviously, but like remember how deadly uh, Jordy Nelson was as a deep threat um, You know, down the sideline. Aaron Rodgers isn't afraid to throw that up, and he's got a strong enough arm to you know throw it over everybody. So... Yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, and again, I just, yeah, I think if you put him in a situation where he's 
doing the things he's comfortable doing. Um, he's never going to be a guy that separates underneath probably um, consistently, but I think he knows how to use his, his frame and he knows how to <clears throat> use his athleticism to, like I said, kind of eat up, eat up um, cushion and just get over the top of the defense that he's the kind of guy that defense defenses are going to have to account for. And I really can't wait to see where he goes because like yeah. I said, I think fit is going to be so important to his drive stock. But I have one last question before I let you get out of here and, this is something that I think the 49ers are really going to be faced with at the top. And I know Nick Bosa has been the common comparison, the common match for them at the second spot. But we said Nick Bosa and Quentin Williams are the top two guys to go yeah. in this drive, the top two prospects in this drive. Everybody, everybody seems to think that Kyler Murray is going to be the consensus number one guy. But I want to talk about drafting need versus best player available. Mm-hmm. So at the number two slot, we know the 49ers need an edge rusher. I mean, it's no secret. They bought D Ford in there, but all they really have is DeForest Buckner on the interior. Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas are still really question marks to this point, but you have Nick Bosa right there. You have Quentin Williams right there. So they don't really have a dire need in the middle and their edge (laughs) rush presence, I think is a bigger need. So just what are your overall thoughts on taking best player available as opposed to the top players at the top? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's always very, very difficult to answer that with a a cut and dried answer because um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is positional value matters a lot. And I think when you're talking about an interior pass rusher versus an edge rusher, um, there's definitely, I guess, differing schools of thought in terms of what is more important. I think probably a lot of people would say that edge rush is, is more important than exterior or uh, than interior rush. Um, but I, was, I can't remember who said it at the combine. Someone was talking about one of the coaches, one of the NFL coaches, was talking about how um, he asked a bunch of quarterbacks. Maybe it was Mayock. I think he, yeah, it was Mayock. He was asking yeah, a bunch of quarterbacks, you know, what bugs them the most, you know, when they're dropping back to pass, and it's always pressure coming up the middle because that's going to get you off your spot. You can't step up into a pocket that way. Um, it's almost like the play is immediately dead if that happens. If you get interior pressure. Quarterback has to move, and the, you know, the structure of the play that they called is almost always going to be dead in that in that sense. Then you're going to your scramble drill where you get the quarterback moving to the outside, and everything kind of like changes. And so, you know, to like the, not to be a fencer, but I don't know that, like what is more important interior or outside pass rush in the in the specific question between both Williams because like I talked about earlier, I've got those guys as one A and one B. I could, you know, I wouldn't fault the 49ers for choosing either of those guys whoever they like more just go with it because i think they're both such important positions in the defense it'd be really fun to watch deforest buckner and quentin williams rush next to each other my god they would destroy interior pockets um that would be really really fun to see um but then you kind of think about like what happened with the rams defense this year like they definitely needed an edge presence um they had aaron donald and ndamukong su and I think they did need an edge presence. They got it later in the year with Fowler um, to an extent. But, um, you know, there's just there's never any one answer, I think, to, like, the question of, like, whether that's more important. I think there's there's different viewpoints on it. And, and there's probably different stats that would kind of paint a different picture depending on how you look at it. So big picture, though, like, if you're talking best player available – um, as an overall philosophy, I think you have to take in positional value. And I, that's why I think I'm really interested to see what happens kind of with TJ Hawkinson because a lot of people are 
um, mocking him in the top 10. And, you know, some people have him as like a top five player on their boards, which I think is fair because he's a very, very good player. But I guess the question is how important is a tight end and, and how replaceable are tight ends? Um, it, traditionally, tight ends have been not very highly valued. I think the there's been like two or three top 10 picks in this century at tight end position. Uh, Eric Ebron was one of them. I want to say Kellen or uh, what was his name? Not Kellen Davis, but uh, Kellen Winslow was maybe the other one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, it's just really rare for guys to go that high at that position. And there's historically been guys you can find in like the second, third round that turn out to be really good. So that is, I think, a different question because, you know, are you going to when you if you have two guys that are say they have whatever the grade is, they're both the same grade on your board, like. Do you go with offensive tackle or do you go with tight end? Do you go with corner or pass rusher? I think you have to choose what position is more important. So it's kind of that that question is hard to answer. Yeah, and it all goes back to positional value, just like you said. I mean, you're not going to take a certain position like tight end in the top ten. I just don't think that happens anymore after the Or running run. running back, yeah. Yeah, running. <laughs> Even though <laughs> that Dave discussion. Yeah, against the rules last year with that. There's just certain positions that you don't take at the top just because they're such a disposable positions. And mm-hmm. running back is a prime example of what the Giants did last year. I think Saquon Barkley is an amazing player. I don't want to take anything away from him. But I just think in the long run, I just don't think it's going to work out for the Giants. And they're experiencing that right now. I mean, you get rid yeah. of Odell Beckham. Eli Manning is, I mean, he's a shell of what he used to be a couple of years ago. But now they're trying to evolve their offense around a run-centric offense around Saquon Barkley and I just think it's an archaic mindset by Dave Gettleman but that's the yep. whole subject for another day with I'm the with New you York but Giants. yeah yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so, once again I want to thank you for coming on uh Danny um do you have Absolutely. anything that you want to plug or or do you uh, have any upcoming articles or anything upcoming on the ringer that you want to yeah. shout out well obviously you just keep an eye on the on the NFL draft guide that's the thing I'm working on this whole I guess draft season that's a big thing it's kind of a living document i change it we're updating it probably updated like once a week once every week and a half going forward so definitely keep an eye on that um later on this week i'll have an article about the top value free agents from the free agency period so keep an eye on that but the big thing to me is is the draft guide I've, I've i'm proud of how it's turned out i'm really excited about finishing off like trying to get the last the second half the 50 next 50 guys going and um yeah it's just been a lot of fun and where can the listeners find you at on Twitter? Uh, Danny B. Kelly on Twitter and then obviously at TheRinger.com. Boom, there it is. Thank you again, Danny, for coming on to the Draft Board Podcast. I definitely will be in touch. Make sure listeners go check out Danny's draft guide, and I definitely will be in touch. We'll make sure to get you back on the podcast soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Really good stuff right there from Danny Kelly of The Ringer. And it's always good to get exterior viewpoints on these prospects because you don't want to live and die with your thoughts. And you just don't want to take your singular thoughts as gospel because they may bring up some things that you may not have seen or thought of during the pre-draft process or during your evaluation. So now that you have these exterior viewpoints from someone else, it may help you add some things to your process or make you see things from a different lens and that's exactly what happened with Danny and our discussion went really in depth about some prospects and those are just the type of things that I'm going to bring on the show and we're going to have a bunch of other guests as well but on Friday we're going to get back to the state of the franchise series I'll do a deep dive into the Denver Broncos the Cincinnati Bengals and the Green Bay Packers 
three teams I think can go a lot of different directions in this draft and I'm really looking forward to see what they do end up doing on the draft but I'm going to air out my thoughts on the Friday show as well so make sure to keep an eye on that that will be on tap Friday morning make sure to subscribe to the podcast tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the podcast we are now on Stitcher for you non-Apple users I know a lot of people have been complaining about that and reaching out to me saying that they don't have a platform to listen to my podcast well now we're on stitcher so make sure to type in the draft board in the search engine on stitcher or whatever platform that you so choose to do so subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review and i look forward to seeing you guys again on friday